Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. You are listening to Be The Change, a podcast of conversations with true visionaries who are creating new paradigms for a healthier planet and society. I am your host, Christine Demick, and my work is in finding real solutions to the biggest problems we face today, climate crisis, capitalism, social injustices, and our failing health. There are amazing humans out there that have answers, and it is my mission to have their voices heard. Together, we can raise consciousness and create a just and equal society. Together, we can be the change. Today, we are going to talk about the word that no one dares mention, menopause, a completely natural phase in a woman's life that has become so taboo to discuss, it is often whispered, if even discussed at all. To top it off, doctors are so uneducated on this process, women are left fearing that they have some undiagnosed illness or are the only ones with the symptoms. How do I know? I am one of these women. Today, I am speaking with Jen Salib Huber, a naturopathic doctor and registered dietitian who is breaking down the walls on this stage every person with ovaries experiences and removing the fear, judgment, and shame society has put on us. Her course has empowered me and she has the answers you seek. To say I'm excited to have Jen on today is an understatement. Welcome, Jen. Thank you so much for being on Be The Change. Thank you so much for having me and for that lovely intro. (laughs) My pleasure. My pleasure. You know, first, I want to thank you so much for lifting the veil on the subject and taking away the shame society has given it. Yeah, you know, I think that I feel like a small part of a much larger movement that is happening for women of our generation who are really taking a stand against what feels like a silent epidemic. You know, we kind of reached this stage and felt wholly unprepared for it. And as a result, we've really come together. And I think that's kind of been my experience personally and professionally. And really kind of one of the gifts of social media in the last couple of years has been bringing together all these women who want to be a voice for midlife. And it's a great thing to be a part of. So tell me, why menopause? You know, I mean, first you kind of explained that. (laughs) You just kind of said that. But what brought you to perimenopause and menopause? Could you see? I know you're Canadian. Is this a U.S. thing? Is it a world thing? Or So I have been practicing for nearly 20 years. And when I was 36, which was uh, nine years ago now, I found myself in early perimenopause, which is, you know, following in my family's history, family history. But I felt very unprepared and didn't realize what it was. And my very excellent family doctor didn't even realize what it was. And I spent two or three years kind of being mismanaged. I wasn't sleeping. And so, you know, I was being offered sleeping pills. My mood was all over the place. And so I was offered antidepressants. It just felt like, and then all of a sudden, one day, I started to put the pieces together. And it wasn't until I really started experiencing cycle changes that I kind of was able to go, oh, wait a minute, is this what I think it is? And after that, 
the pieces fell into place for me. And that's when I really realized that there was a huge gap in the care that was being provided to women, especially in perimenopause. You know, if you're 50 and having hot flashes, you're probably going to get the right care. But if you're 40 and having hot flashes, there's a good chance you're going to be told you're too young, when in fact, that's not the case. And so as I decided to really kind of dive into this area and learn as much as I could and try and become as much of an expert as one can become, especially in the non-hormonal management, not that there's anything wrong with hormones, but some women like me didn't respond to them. Some people don't want to take them. And I wanted to make sure that I was able to be an evidence-based voice for what some of the other options are. So that's kind of how I fell into it. Necessity is the mother of invention. (laughs) It is. I'm so grateful. And you mentioned that your own doctor who's excellent and all my doctors are women. I have a GP, a gyno and endo, you know, all of them and not one prepared me. Now I'm 50, I'll be 52 in September. So if it wasn't hot flashes, they were at a loss. I've had heart palpitations, sporadic periods, which we know. And after taking your course, I realized like joint pain, I have that. And here I thought like, you know, it's like, again, it's a shameful thing. It's like, oh, old lady, you know, like joint pain and like, I'm old now. And I didn't realize that was a symptom. Also, my breasts are huge. So I go through periods of engorged breasts and bloating. And then the next day I could be fine. And it's so quick. And now after taking your course, I realized that it's my estrogen and, you know, going wickety whack. I had no idea. And my doctor didn't know. Also days of deep depression. Like I've fallen into like just Mm -hmm. a black hole and can't get out. And the next day I'm fine. What is that? And why don't our doctors know? So again, (laughs) you know, a lot of it does come down to estrogen. So just to kind of recap for anyone who's listening who may not really fully understand the ages and stages that we're talking about. So we have premenopause, which is everything leading up to perimenopause. Perimenopause is the eight to 10 years that, you know, kind of we swim in before we stop having a period. And even that eight to 10 year period is broken up into different phases. So there's a very early phase, which was kind of where I was at 36 or 37 having a lot of the changes in the experience, but no period changes. I was still having a regular period, but I was having the mood swings and the sleep changes and, you know, headaches and migraines and all those kinds of things that are due to the fact that progesterone really starts to fall in those very early stages. As we get into perimenopause or the middle stages of perimenopause, this is when women might start to notice changes in their cycle. So this is often the kind of first clue like, oh, wait a minute, why did my period come after two weeks? Or why am I now going six weeks without a period? Or why am I spotting for a week? Or why did this period last for three weeks? All of those changes are often kind of obvious that something maybe is starting to change. And then in the later stages is when we're regularly missing a period. But what's happening through all of this is that estrogen is all over the place. It's on a roller coaster. Some months it's very high, some months it's very low. And I call it kind of the crazy is what happens in the in-between. And when your estrogen levels change, we also have changes in serotonin, which is one of our mood neurotransmitters. 
you know, we might be pleasure seeking that might change our relationship with food. It might change our relationship with people. Like there's so many changes that are happening that are unpredictable and inconsistent. So it really Mm -hmm. feels like you're on and off a roller coaster for years on end. If you don't have, you know, access to a support system of people who can help to smooth the road. So I always use the analogy of you're going to get there either way, but we can either take the paved road or the bumpy road. And the paved road is just a much nicer view. (laughs) It's much smoother. Well, but if it weren't for you and I, you know, I found you through a girlfriend who is the wife of one of my oldest friends and she's working on a website, but I mean, there was just no information. And, you know, if I said I had joint pain, my doctor would send me for an MRI. She wouldn't have connected it to the the menopause. Now, of course, she's not in the perimenopause phase, which is where I am at. And I wish that I I had you, Jen, like when we have our daughters and that they're going through Mm -hmm. puberty and we sit down and we have that conversation of what the menstrual cycle is and all of that, we need that for this. And there's nothing out there. There's no manuals. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for doing it. But yeah. And that's kind of what was the reason why I created just this, you know, the thinking woman's guide to perimenopause and menopause, which is really just trying to educate women on what it is because many women, and we have all kinds of studies and data to back this up, that women don't know what to expect. They kind of just fall into it and often are left, you know, kind of trying to figure things out on their own. So the whole point was just to be able to create kind of a a concise, here's what you need to know, here's what to expect, here are some of the things that you can look into for, you know, solutions, and just while trying to bring some normalcy to it so that women knew they weren't going crazy. Yes, exactly. And I think, you know, my my mother and my grandmother who have both passed also didn't share anything. I asked my mom about it when when she was alive. I had asked her and she said, Mm -hmm. oh, she couldn't remember, which is like, how do you not remember this? And... I know you and and many others out there now, there's a movement for this. So we haven't hit that tipping point yet, but I can see the information is coming out. And so the women who follow us will have that, hopefully, and not to be ashamed of that. One of the other things I learned from your course was that estrogen, it doesn't just help regulate our periods, but it, it protects our hearts, our liver, our bones, our brain, right? Even our skin, like it's needed. Yeah. So we are designed to function optimally in our reproductive years with estrogen. And, you know, that estrogen also reduces cardiovascular risk. It helps to, you know, keep our brain young and our skin nice and plump and healthy. And I always think that it's important to recognize that, you know, the change to menopause is pre-programmed into our DNA and we can absolutely be healthy without that estrogen, but it, sometimes does need to be supported. And so one of the ways that some people choose to do that is hormone therapy. And for women who go into very early menopause, that's really important because they're going to have a much longer portion of their life without estrogen. But for women who are kind of transitioning at, you know, the expected time in their forties and fifties, I like to teach women about the the value of phytoestrogens, which are the plant-based estrogens that have been shown to help reduce, you know, the risk of things like heart disease and to support bone health. And there's even research looking into brain health and memory because we know these phytoestrogens can cross into the brain through the blood-brain barrier. 
But the other really interesting thing that I think for some women helps to normalize the experience of the changing body is that some of the, you know, the life preserver that we put on in our midsection in that kind of perimenopausal experience, that tissue actually produces estrogen. And it produces the type of estrogen that may be protective. So, you know, sometimes it's hard to understand why our bodies are changing. But like I said, these changes are pre-programmed into our DNA. And if we can learn to work with them instead of against them, I think we'll all be better off. Oh, I'd love that. So one of the things that I have absolutely gone through is my body's changed from a pear shape to an apple shape. You know, I could shame my body in many ways and I'm not going to do that. But having a flat stomach, I always had it. My stomach was never my problem area, I guess I would say. And But now that you say that that protective layer is actually helping me is something entirely different and helped me to accept it in a new way. Yeah. You You know, and I think we don't talk about why these changes happen. We always talk about them in a negative light instead of recognizing that, yeah, this change is pre-programmed into us. And, you know, if we can understand that, yes, there can be some metabolic effects that we should be aware of. Maybe we need to think a little bit differently about how we feed ourselves and how we move our body, but we don't need to punish ourselves because we're experiencing these changes. And I think that that does change how we respond to it emotionally and just kind of mentally. Yes. And how others also perceive it because we need to honor the elders. We're all going to get there, you know, <laughs> like hopefully yeah. if we're lucky, I say, you know, and knowing that now gives me a different feeling and look towards my body and, and my tummy that I now have. Whereas my doctor, and this kind of brings us into, you You have coined a phrase, I think is what you call intuitive eating. And I really want to jump into that because immediately as my stomach, I noticed it like coming on and didn't know. And my doctor didn't say, well, you're, you know, you're carrying estrogen in there and that's helpful. Didn't say that. In fact, said, you know, you need to lose weight. You need to start watching. And what I was told was to watch my calories. And I, I tracked it for two weeks. Okay. I was eating 1500 calories a day or less, sometimes 1200, two weeks boxing, uh, have a, you know, active, didn't lose anything. And then my doctor, you know, never is like, just eat less. And no one gave me an acceptance of it, which is like, this is where you're at. And, you know, I came to it myself. I was like, come on, I'm 51 years old. I am not going to spend the rest of my life worrying about like what and how I'm eating like calories. That's not going to happen, Jen. Right. And here you come up with this intuitive eating, which I just love. So tell us about it. Tell us what intuitive eating is. So intuitive eating, I would love to say that I coined it, but it definitely isn't me. Um, It was coined by Evelyn Triboli and Elise Reich, who are two dietitians. And they actually started, you know, kind of pioneering this in the mid nineties. And what it really is, is kind of saying, you know what, everybody's an individual and we are born knowing how to eat. If you look at children, they are beautiful examples of being able to eat intuitively. They eat when they're hungry. They stop when they're full. Anybody who's had a baby knows that you can't convince them to eat if they're not hungry and you can't convince them to keep eating if they're full. Like when they're done, they're done. They know exactly what they want. They're very focused on satisfaction. We're all born that way. 
But then we get introduced to what is kind of globally called diet culture, which also overlaps into wellness culture, which is saying that you can prescribe a way of eating that will result in an intended health effect and that it's a simple formula and that you just need to follow that formula. But that is not the case because we know that 70% of our size and shape is genetic. And so you can have 10 people eating the same thing and they're not going to all look the same. They are not all going to respond, and I'm saying that in air quotes, to a prescribed way of eating in the way that we've been led to believe. So what intuitive eating says is, you know what, we are not in control of our weight. We cannot control our weight with a calorie in, calorie out equation that uses food and exercise as tools to accomplish that. We can only be in control of our choices and our behaviors. And I try and teach women to take the focus off of the number on the scale so that they can stop using weight as a proxy for health because it becomes very just distracting when your only measure of success is the number on the scale. So, you know, perfect example is years and years and years ago, I was working with a woman who wanted to learn to run. And she decided that she was going to do this couch to 5K. She ran this local race called the Blue Nose Race in Halifax. And, you know, she came back and we were talking about it. And I said, oh, this is amazing. And she was in her 50s and good for you and how awesome. And she was with a running club and they were meeting twice and three times a week. She said, yeah, but I'm never doing that again. And when I asked her why, she said, because I didn't lose a pound. So she had adopted this habit she had met these like-minded people. She was moving her body. She was being social. She had all of these amazing benefits from it, but she had no internal motivation to continue because weight had not changed. And I think for many women, whether they've done one diet or a hundred, they're very focused on if it doesn't move the scale, it gains means. And try and shift their mindset so that they're not solely focused on what their body looks like. I really want to teach them how can you feel good about your relationship with food and your body at any stage of life. That's beautiful. And I wish I had that in my younger age, you know, and it would have saved me a lot of time and a lot of angst. But now, yeah, I I mean, you you had posted something that finally was a revelation for me, which was I could eat the same food my 130 pound friend does, but I will never weigh what she does or look like her. It's not that. And we've been told that calories in, calories out, eat this or exercise this, and then you'll get this. And that's just not true. And I do see, I do see that the generations before me are coming to this and sharing pictures with this and the body shaming and allowing people We're not, you know, all these people in the magazines, you know, it's just not that way. You can't diet and exercise your way into someone else's body. (laughs) And there has been a double standard for far too long that if someone lives in a smaller body, we extend them the evidence of genetics. And we say, oh, you're lucky you have great genetics, you're, you know, whatever. But if someone lives in a larger body, We don't extend that to them. You know, we say, oh, they need to move more and eat less. So that double standard, which has been reinforced by the media and, you know, fitspo culture and what we choose to believe as 
considered, you know, what's attractive, which in the bigger picture is all culturally influenced and has really racist roots, even as we're learning about that, you know, it's, there's so much more to how we came to believe that the thin ideal of the white female body should be at the top of the pyramid. And so dismantling that really opens up this beauty of diversity of the human female body that we can have health at every size and there is beauty in every body shape. Yeah. Thank God is for that. Yes. (laughs) When I was the age of 14, I uh, had anorexia, basically Mm -hmm. gave it to myself for a year and weighed all of 80 pounds or whatever it was. And that entire time I was told that I look great. I was treated differently. And I think about it now. Then, of course, I was so messed up that I wasn't. I was, you know, emotionally going through a lot of things. But it's shocking to me, you know, and how then men would often tell me, you know, oh, well, you put on weight or, you know, it's like people want you to be women, to be smaller, you Mm -hmm. know, and also quieter. And gosh, that's just so not me. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah, it, it just really it was like, wow, <laughs> I love it. Oh, I'm so glad that it was. Yeah, yeah. It's like to be happy because then also when you, as you're getting older, then you're judging, you know, I don't judge myself against younger women, but other people judge me against it. And if I'm relevant because I'm not 38 anymore, or mm-hmm. I'm sure, you know, you understand that. And it's just not everyone, of course, and not the people that I hang out with, but societal There's so much to that conversation. You know, we lose our confidence when we see our body changing, when we feel different, when we feel like we don't recognize ourselves. You know, there's the stigma of menopause. And so many women don't want to, you know, volunteer that they're at the end of their reproductive life because, you know, for many people that kind of signals the end of their productive life, those two are not related, just to be clear. And I try and reassure women that when you can feel confident in your body, your confidence will come back in spades and you will recognize that you are a force to be reckoned with and that you aren't fading off into the background. But we really need to teach women, you know, and get the message out that this is not the end of their life. It is just the start of the next season. Absolutely. It's a beautiful stage to get to and to not fear it. That's funny. You know, I was searching for books on this and someone gave me one and I was going through it and they call it becoming a crone. And I was like, Jesus, right? Like, like, no, my husband's 12 years older than me. I know he's not getting these slurs. You know, people are, you know, oh, he's distinguished. He's handsome. He's this, you know, crone. When you come into your crone years, like, oh my God. So I had uh, breast cancer, non-hormonal, it was just a random one, uh, completely cured. And it was seven years ago. And there's all this misinformation out on soy. And now I take in my coffee, I drank a cup of soy milk a day and it's done wonders for me. And can you explain a little bit about that and what phytoestrogens are? And maybe also I want to talk about like, if you're vegan and if you don't eat fish and stuff, what we can do. Yeah. Yeah. And so I always feel like poor little soy has been so misunderstood. 
And a lot of that misunderstanding comes from just the name phytoestrogen. And so we've known for a long time that the components of soy that are phytoestrogenic are these compounds called isoflavones. And phytoestrogens are present in every plant, but they are concentrated, more concentrated in flax and soy and beans and lentils. And they are actually estrogen modulators. So when you hear the term phytoestrogen, you think, oh, it must raise my estrogen levels or it must have, you know, kind of a negative impact on estrogen levels. But they're actually estrogen modulators, meaning that when you're swimming in hormonal estrogen soup, these phytoestrogens can come in and they can bind to one of the estrogen receptors, the beta receptor, that is considered protective. And they can actually reduce the estrogenic activity. Whereas when you're in the estrogen Sahara Desert and you don't have a lot of estrogen anymore, but you still have receptors that would like a little bit of it, that binding to that beta receptor can actually help to alleviate some symptoms. And so hot flashes are the ones that have most evidence behind it but there's also evidence for vaginal dryness. And in terms of my clinical experience, you know, generally the entire menopause experience can be improved, you know, with the inclusion of these on a regular basis. So, and what we know, and the key piece of this is that it's the beta receptor activity that is protective. So the alpha receptor is the one that gets us into trouble. And it is the one that has the strongest effect. And when people you know, have concerns about estrogen. And I know that, you know, you talk a lot about kind of, you know, household products and things like that. And when we talk about the chemical estrogens, the concern is that they bind to the alpha receptor. And so they have a very strong estrogenic effect, whereas soy phytoestrogens bind to the beta receptor. And there is so much data reassuring us that soy does not cause cancer. And that even there's evidence that it can be protective even for people who have had breast cancer. So I always say that it's really difficult to come to any conclusions in research when it comes to food because there's so many variables. But this has been studied so many times in so many different groups of women that all of the experts agree that at best it's protective, at worst it has a neutral effect. So there really shouldn't be any concern about including soy food and phytoestrogen-rich food, not supplements. The jury is still out on that, but soy food as part of a regular diet. Right. And when we're talking soy foods, listeners, we're talking about, you know, like edamame and soy milk. Edamame, tofu, soy milk. Soybean oil, not the genetically modified. You know, when it comes to isoflavones and in soy, things like soybeans and edamame, you know, soy nuts are all great reliable sources. The problem with soy milk is that the isoflavone content can vary quite a bit. And since most of the companies or none that I know of actually list the isoflavone content, if you look at kind of the research on isoflavone content, it can vary quite a bit from like six milligrams to 20 milligrams per cup. And so, you know, I usually tell women that that's why you just want to have a variety of them. Flax has a different type of isoflavone. It's called a lignin, but it's still a phytoestrogen. So that's why I often recommend doing a bit of both. And the lignins and flax especially are being looked at as protective for breast cancer. So that's always a good one to include. And it's also a great source of soluble fiber, which we can always use more of. So, you know, looking at the food-based options, you know, has so many other benefits because beans and lentils are high in protein. 
Many of them also contain iron, some of the, the other minerals like magnesium that we need and that women in midlife especially can benefit from. But even looking at the bigger picture with phytoestrogens, it helps to reduce insulin resistance, which is one of the side effects of living in a lower estrogen body. You know, it's associated with uh, better cholesterol levels. So on the whole, this is just a great group of foods to include more often. So back to intuitive eating, like when yeah, I, so I've kind of morphed into mainly plant-based. It's not okay. to say, so if anyone out there sees me, like occasionally I do eat fish, but I'm generally just plant-based, non-dairy, all of that. And my body called for it, but that's not intuitive eating, right? So is intuitive it like- It can be. It can be. So okay. intuitive eating is about- learning what you like, learning what feels good to eat, learning what fuels your body in a way that feels intuitive. And I think that some people absolutely can gravitate towards a plant-based diet. And you can also eat intuitively with intention, meaning that if you believe, and you know, I always say we want to support that with facts and evidence and not just opinions, but if you believe that there's a benefit to doing something that's going to benefit your health, we can find ways to add that into what you're doing without having to displace something else that you enjoy. So if you want to add in more plant-based protein, but you still like chicken, let's try and find ways to have both in a dish or, you know, like it doesn't have to be all or nothing. One of the big things with diet culture is that it, it indoctrinates us into this all or nothing thinking that you have to be a hundred percent at something. Otherwise it doesn't count. And I often use the example of plant-based eating that people will say, oh, I could never be vegetarian. I love my hamburgers too much. Well, then have your hamburgers and have plant-based protein. Like, why does it have to be either or? So kind of getting, helping women to get out of that all or nothing thinking and, you know, kind of trying to take the veil off of the health halos, um, the food morality, all of those things that get mixed into our relationship with food that aren't serving us. Yeah, that's perfect. So when I eat now, I look to the foods that are going to nourish my body and help me to feel the best that I can versus like, you know, if I want something sweeter. So it's not that I'm denying myself, but honestly, Jen, if I have like a huge, you know, piece of chocolate cake, I get sick. I get physically sick. You know, my blood sugar goes wickety whack, but I can have that chocolate craving by eating. I make buckwheat cookies that have chocolate and cacao in them and coconut sugar, which has a, it's much easily, my body regulates it more, right? So to me, intuitively means like what my body feels best in. And if that is filling and satisfying and you don't feel like you're missing out, no. then that's intuitive. Another way that I might approach that is let's say that, you know, it's your favorite chocolate cake and the substitute that you've come up with isn't cutting it. Then we could look at ways of, okay, well, how can we add in that chocolate cake to a meal that's maybe higher in protein or has more fiber that might slow down the absorption of, you know, the carbohydrates that cause you to feel that way so that you can have both, right? So, you know, I think that sometimes, again, when we're in that all or nothing thinking, we think, okay, if this isn't working, I can't have this. But if you like it and your brain knows that you like it, sometimes you can get into that kind of deprivation mentality. And so I talk a lot about abundance versus scarcity mindsets and permission versus restriction. 
So if you feel like you can't have something, you will want and need more of it to feel satisfied. Yeah. Right. So so if we're, if we're thinking about how can I add something into what I'm eating so that I can enjoy this and feel better, that's a completely different mindset than I can't have this and I have to find something else to replace it. So let me ask you this. And, oh, and I also want to mention, so if you are vegan and like, if you're looking for omega threes and stuff, Chia, Chia has even more omega threes than salmon does. Well, you took, correct me if I'm wrong, but I eat like chia seeds with soy milk. That's my breakfast, but. Yeah. So the answer is yes, but a qualified yes. So the omega-3 precursor that is found in flax and chia and nuts and seeds is called alpha linoleic acid or ALA. That needs to be converted to the active omega-3, which is EPA or DHA. The conversion rate varies by person. So there's some genetic influences on that conversion. There's, you know, some other kind of, you know, micronutrients that are involved. So what I tell people is that absolutely include them. They're great foods for all different kinds of reasons. But that if you're looking for a therapeutic effect from the omega-3s, that a better vegan source is algae. So algae, you can get, you know, capsules or liquids that are algae-based, so they're still vegan but they contain DHA, the preformed DHA. So your body doesn't have to convert anything. So yes, you're right. There's lots of ALA in Shia, but we don't know how much of it gets converted to DHA. So what do we do now? So I know that you like, I want to keep like my estrogen and like after taking your course, I feel like I have a better grasp on that. But what happens when I stop my period and I'm officially in menopause? Am I still doing that? Or do things like, do I reset my new person? What happens? (laughs) So usually um, once you've gone 12 full months without a period, and I would say that Murphy is very close to mother nature. And I can't tell you the number of times women have gotten a period at like 11 months, three weeks and five days. And then the <laughs> clock starts all over no, again. God, no, but... It really does. So just don't be surprised if that happens. But typically what happens is that once you've gone that 12 months, most women may who were still having a lot of symptoms may start to notice that they do start to kind of change. Not all women, but most women are most symptomatic in the kind of year or two leading up to the end of a period. And then things often start to stabilize, maybe not completely go away, but a small percentage of women do still experience symptoms for many years. But things become more stable. So when we look at the data and the research, you know, women will say that sleep stabilizes, mood stabilizes, body changes stabilize you know, maybe symptoms that they were having related to estrogen, like migraines and things like that, you know, they tend to go away. Obviously you're not going to be having heavy periods and cramping. So a lot of things do get better. And once you're in that post-menopause stage, we're usually not thinking about symptom management as much, although we can be, and we're really focused on, okay, how can we help you live your best life and feel your best in this post-menopause body, which still needs some estrogen support. And I think this is really where the plant-based estrogens can shine as an ongoing support. And if you're still having some symptoms related to that drop in estrogen, they might be able to help take some of the edge off. And again, just to clarify, you know, hormone therapy has been shown in recent years to be very safe. So I don't want anyone to think that I'm anti-hormone therapy. Absolutely, I'm not. And I can tell you that it has saved many women's lives. But there are a not small group of women who don't tolerate it. And I was one of those women who can't take it for either family history, cardiovascular risk, blood clots. And we need to support those women too. And that's the hill I'm going to die on. I'm going to support the women who can't take the hormone therapy. 
And so, you know, looking at the other benefits to our bones and brain and heart, those phytoestrogens are going to help you through the next season of life, whether or not you're having hot flashes. That's fantastic. I feel like my estrogen goes up and down in hours, not even days. And, you know, I've had the privilege of working with many women for, you know, over a decade and I really have seen them kind of go through these stages. And it really does seem to be the case that kind of you get to menopause and you kind of land at a new normal that may not be what you thought it was going to be. It may not be what it was 20 years ago, but it's predictable. And I think that that is the key thing that, you know, when we're in these perimenopausal years, that's probably the most disruptive is that no two months, days, or weeks feel the same. And it can make you feel like you're going crazy. Yeah. And women need to know that they're not alone in feeling that. You know, my friend, I share anything from flatulence, right? From from the estrogen, (laughs) all right? So I don't know who needs to hear that, but I'm going to let you know. Flatulence, my girlfriend said that she had six months, six months of intense cramping, but no period. I myself was out on the beach. I had cramping, but I was like, you know, it just like, I didn't even think anything of it. Got home. Thank God I got home. And without any warning, any spotting, just went into like a flooding with my yeah. period. It was, I was like, thank God. I didn't even have a tampon on me on the beach. <laughs> but FYI, they don't make like uh, menstrual pads and, and tampons big enough now for when you go through that. That's a whole other thing, you know, that women yeah. don't realize. And I know my girlfriend had a hysterectomy because mm-hmm. of it, you know, and they blame fibroids, but it's, it's quite common, quite common. So yeah. And this is where I want to insert my PSA though. So okay. public service announcement, Tell do us. not ignore new or changing pain or period symptoms without checking in with someone. So yes, heavy bleeding can be a result of the estrogen excess that happens, but it can also be from fibroids. Yeah, You know, yes, you can have increasing pain that can be a result of these hormone changes, but there are other causes that shouldn't be ignored. And so, you know, this is where having a healthcare provider that you trust and just kind of help you make sure that everything is normal is just so, so important. Yes. And on that end, I will tell you that I have had ovarian biopsy. I have had two sonograms. I have had one MRI. So we know that I'm fine. And so my doctors did take that very seriously because I do. I have a friend who passed from ovarian cancer. Unfortunately, when you do get to those symptoms, it's too late. So it's something to be taken very seriously. But once you do check that out, also know that if you are having heavy periods and you've checked everything else out, that that is a normal sign of menopause. Yeah. And phytoestrogens are, can really shine here because they do help to lower some of that estrogen excess that happens that leads to or causes those heavy periods. Um, So that can be a big quality of life game changer because the flooding that happens you know, there really is no better word for it than flooding. And it can really be right out of a horror show. If you haven't experienced it before, it can be disconcerting. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that soy milk cup a day has really helped me a lot. I'm grateful. So happy to hear that. So you've all heard me talk about Jen's course and it's really, it's amazing. And Jen has offered, she's given us a coupon. So tell us Jen, like where, Where can we get your course and how do we do that and follow you on Instagram? Yeah. So the best place to always kind of keep tabs on what I'm up to and what I'm offering is Instagram. 
I joke that it's kind of my one true love. So, you know, that's kind of where I connect with people the most. And I, you know, and not just people to work with, but also just other people, other women in this midlife space. So you can find links to my program there. You can find links to my website. And the program is meant to be very digestible, actionable, you know, comes with four modules that will, that, you know, you can cover in two to three hours. So you can kind of really get as much information as, you know, you need to get started. And then there's ongoing support in a Facebook group so that you have a space to ask questions. And then for people who feel like they might want to ask some additional questions, you know, there's also an option for them to get a couple of clarity calls to kind of go over the content just to make sure that they understand everything. So different ways that people can work with me and uh, for women who are interested, you know, in the intuitive eating work, especially, and maybe less so on the menopause side, they can also find links to that on my Instagram and my website. Great. Jen has graciously given us a coupon for her course, which is, uh, she's discounted it to, with the coupon is Be The Change. That's easy to remember, Be The Change. And it's approximately $79 US, which I mean, you can't, it's so much information. You're going to have it. It also comes with, your recipes, Jen, are like amazing. Oh, I'm so glad (laughs) to hear that. Yeah, like really usable information. I'm telling you, you can do it at your own pace. You have it there. It's on your computer. You can refer to it best $79 I've spent. So use the coupon, be the change. And Jen, what is your website? It's Jen Salib Huber. Can you spell that for us? Yeah. Mm J-E-N-N-S as in Sam, A-L-I-B-H-U-B-E-R.ca. And my Instagram is at menopause.nutritionist at menopause.nutritionist. And I am going to put, these will also be on the show notes. So if you have a hard time hearing this, that you can go to the the show notes and they'll be right there. But I highly recommend it and follow Jen on Instagram. Jen, we're down to our last question, which is what I ask everyone at the end of the show, which is what brought you to this and what keeps you, I guess, being the change? Like, you said you'll, you'll die on this hill, which I love. Yeah. <laughs> you could die on this hill. But, you know, it's not easy being an entrepreneur. And it's not, you know, your mom, your wife, international traveling back and forth. What keeps you being the change and waking mm. up every morning and doing this? You know, my soul is fed every time. And it happens daily now um, that someone reaches out to me, either through email or on Instagram, to say, your posts are a breath of fresh air. And I didn't know that I could live without trying to spend my life losing weight or that I could have a relationship with food that feels healthy and is nourishing and, you know, isn't based on someone else's rules. And every day, you know, sometimes I'm blessed with five, six, seven messages of people just saying, I'm so glad I found you. And that, that just, gets me out of bed every morning. And, you know, I'm just so grateful, you know, grateful for a platform that has allowed me to connect with people in a meaningful way and provide them with information that can make their life a little better. That's, that's kind of my why. So. Wonderful. Well, as someone who does follow you, I have to tell you that I'm grateful that I found you and for this information because I've been searching for years and you've uh, given me answers and hope and made me not ashamed and not to feel like you know, anomaly and all this. So thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. That means the world to me. And I'm, I'm so glad to have connected with you. And, you know, I think that you're a change maker in your own right. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this conversation and are inspired. We grow with supporters and listeners like you. 
So please share this podcast with your community and follow us on Instagram at bethechange.nyc. And to learn more about our guests and what you can do to be the change, go to our website at www.bethechange.nyc. That's bethechange.nyc. Thank you and be well.